You are now listening to the First Baptist Church of America's podcast. If you have any questions about our church, please check us out online at fbcamericas.org. This week, we continue our journey through John's Gospel with Brother Keith's message, Miracles That Lead to Belief, from John eleven forty one through 54. Let's listen in. Amen. That is why we sing. That is why we gather, because of the power of God expressed to us through Jesus Christ. And so I hope you have your Bibles with you. You, you can uh, turn um, as we look at John 11. And we'll pick up at 41 as Justin has read and go through 54. Two weeks ago, if you were here, we took part of this or the resurrection part of Lazarus. And we talked about how Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead in a little village called Bethany, which was close to Jerusalem. Now, Jesus knew that if he did this miracle, it would put him on a fast track to his own death because of the proximity to Jerusalem, and it did. Raising Lazarus was the the final line to be crossed by Jesus, and from that point on, the Jewish leaders, they plotted to take his life. They would remove the biggest threat to their control and their religion, Jesus. Also on that Sunday, if you were here two weeks ago, I illustrated what happened there with something called sympathetic vibration. I walked over to the piano and I sang a tone into it, and the strings that were tuned to the same frequency of the note that I sang into the piano, they began to vibrate. What was stationary became alive. It took on movement just because of my singing into that piano. If you didn't hear that, by the way, check it out on the website about 11 minutes in because it really picked up on the recording. But you you can hear the strings responding to my voice. And that's what happened to Lazarus. He responded, even in death, he responded to the voice of Jesus when Jesus called him out of that tomb. Of course, the point of that illustration was that while Lazarus was living, while he had life, he tuned his heart to the heart of Jesus. So that in death, when Jesus called him, he responded. He was able to respond because he had tuned his heart to Jesus. Now, I have to admit that in our modern culture, that's hard to believe that a resurrection took place. Here's a man that's been dead, been dead for four days, and according to the Jews at that time, that was he was good and dead after four days. And uh, so we're talking about a resurrection of someone, and that's hard to believe. It's still hard to believe. Uh, just last week, there was a pastor in South Africa. Some of you may have seen this, but he claimed to resurrect a dead man. And I was watching part of the clip of the service. It's a three-hour service. But they said said where to look uh, for this miracle. And so I'm watching the extravagant show. And I just didn't buy it. I didn't believe it. It it was too staged. And when, when the supposedly dead man came out, he was 
perspiring. He had been shut up in the box. He was sweating. I don't know if deceased people sweat, but I don't know. But it was just all a little bit too much. And you know, some people can read this and say the same thing. That's, that's too much. That's too much for me to believe, to accept that a dead man rose up after four days and walked out of a tomb. And I can understand that. There has to be something that backs up the miracle, that backs up the claim, something tangible. By the way, that pastor is under investigation for other issues. So his life doesn't really back up the claim. That's totally different with what Jesus did. And, and so even when we talk about miracles in our lives, there has to be something tangible that backs it all up. And I think that is changing people. People who are changing. So all through John's Gospel, he has made it clear to us that some believe in Jesus, others don't. In fact, it's true of all Scripture. We find that some believe God while others don't. And I think that's still true today. Some believe, others don't believe. And I think there are levels of belief and unbelief. And I mentioned this a few weeks ago. But imagine that there is a stairway. And if you can picture it in your mind, there's one that goes up over Cafe Cappuccino. Okay, so there's a stairway with one section and that it leads up to a landing. And then there's another section that goes up all the way. So I think of levels of unbelief and levels of belief. And so if you're on that lower section of stairs, you are taking steps and you're standing on that landing. But when you step on that next step, on that second level going up, that's when you step into belief. You, you have committed that, yes, I believe this. I may not understand it, but I commit to it. I believe it. Now, if you look across the street, going up over Kennebrew, there is a stairwell that goes straight up. There's no landing. And I think for some people, that's how they come to faith. To faith. Like the Apostle Paul, who had an abrupt change. And he immediately stepped into belief. But for others, there are steps and levels of belief leading to faith. So this last part of John 11 deals with belief. And so I want to point out two miracles that lead some to belief. So Lazarus, as I mentioned, had been dead four days. And by the way, remember that that's why Jesus delayed coming. So that they would know without a doubt that Lazarus was dead. And so Jesus stood in front of the tomb of Lazarus. And he didn't immediately call him forth. What did he do? He prayed. Jesus prayed to his Father. Now, Jesus didn't ask God to hear his request. Because God always heard his request. He always heard him. Jesus didn't ask God for wisdom about what to do. Jesus knew what to do. He didn't ask God for the authority to raise someone from the dead because Jesus has all authority. He didn't ask Him for the power. God, give me the power to raise Lazarus because Jesus has all power. He didn't have to pray for that. So why did Jesus pray? 
Well, he tells us in verse 42, for the benefit of a people standing here, why? That they might believe. So he prayed for the benefit of the people standing around him so that they may believe. Jesus' prayer connected the miracle with God to validate that he was from God. And so that was why he prayed. The therefore in verse 45 relates the belief and the unbelief to the resurrection of Lazarus. 45 says, Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So they went immediately to tell the Pharisees what Jesus had done. So there's the report of the miracle. Some believed, others didn't. And those that went immediately, uh, they told tattletale, basically. They told what Jesus had done. And then the Pharisees, they called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. And I find it interesting that the religious leaders, they recognized that Jesus was performing miracles for the people. They acknowledged that. They recognized the, the miraculous work that Jesus was doing. But the Pharisees, they didn't care for the people. They didn't care at all. They only cared about their power and their control. They were self-absorbed. By the way, self-preservation is a cause of unbelief for many people. I want to hold on what I've got because to believe means to commit to something outside of myself. And so self-preservation is a cause of unbelief. The Pharisees, by the way, they lost what they were trying to hold on to because a short while after this, Rome toppled Jerusalem. So they lost it anyway. We can't hold on to what we want, what we have, because we have no control of it. God does. So their fear was that if Jesus continued as he was doing, more and more people would believe and follow him, and that would get the attention of Rome. But it really wasn't that that concerned them. It was actually, it would be their opposition to Jesus that would get Rome's attention because Rome liked peace and if anything threatened that peace they would step in and in this case they would have stepped in to restore peace they would have taken away the authority that they had given the Jews so the Sanhedrin the Pharisees the Sadducees they would have lost their power lost their control and so by this time in Israel's history the priesthood was nothing more than a Rome appointed office available to the highest bidder. And in this case, at this time, it was Caiaphas who was the highest bidder. He had purchased the office of high priest. But even so, God used the corrupt high priest Caiaphas to proclaim a prophetic message. And, and Caiaphas didn't even know that he was prophesying. Verse 50. He says, you do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Now what Caiaphas meant was that it was better 
that Jesus die instead of having trouble with Rome and lose their control. So it was better to kill Jesus and maintain peace and keep Rome out of their um, area. But what God said through Caiaphas was that Jesus would die not only for Israel, but for all people. Now look at the, the end of verse 52. And there you'll see the reason why we're gathered here this morning. Jesus' death would bring together all the children of God and make them one. That is the church. He would make them one. We are united because of our belief in the life and the, and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And one becomes a child of God, a part of His church, by believing and trusting Jesus as Savior. So that's why we gather. We are united because of our belief, our faith in Jesus Christ. So I want to point out two miracles that lead some, and I say some, to belief. The first miracle is the miracle itself, the restored life of Lazarus. You can believe it as it is. You can believe it just as it's written. It's one thing for the people who were standing there 2,000 years ago as eyewitnesses to believe. I mean, think about it. They were standing there. They, they knew Lazarus. That's why they were there. They were comforting Martha and Mary. So they would have known Lazarus. They would have known his character. They would have also heard about Jesus. They would have known about his character. They were eyewitnesses to Lazarus walking out of the tomb in his own strength. Even though they were eyewitnesses, some believed, some didn't. Now what about us today? Can we read this and immediately believe? For some people, yes. For others, no. I think it's the same then as it, as it is now. Some believe, some don't. For those who don't, I'd say, consider this miracle along with everything else you know about Jesus from the Bible. Think about all that you have heard and read about Jesus from the Bible. Everything He said was validated by everything that He did. What He said... He backed up by what He did. There's, there's a consistency to His life like no other life ever lived. There's a perfection there. He taught us to love. What did Jesus do? He loved. He taught us to pray. He prayed. He taught us to go. And He went. He taught compassion. And He showed compassion. He claimed power. And He demonstrated power. Jesus claimed to be the resurrection and the life and He proved it by raising Lazarus from the dead. And then a little, just a little while later, He proved it even more by His own death and resurrection. The life Jesus lived backed up everything He said. And that's why what John tells us about the resurrection is credible. Because of the character of Jesus, He backs it up. You can believe the miracle of Lazarus' life just as it is. You read it and you can believe it. 
I decided many years ago to accept the Bible as it is. I can't understand it all, but I'm trying to. And I, I hope I'm, I'm, I'm growing in my ability to explain it. But I accept it as it is, as God's word to me and to you, to us, to tell us about who God is, to tell us about our own condition, to tell us about what Jesus has done for us in our condition. So I accept it as it is. And I've come to the conclusion that the only way to authenticate the Bible is to live it out in daily life. You just live it out. Desiring to live in such a way that my belief is visible to everyone around me. So the first miracle that leads some to belief is the restored life of Lazarus as it's presented to us. And then the second miracle would be the restored life of believers. The restored life of believers. Verse 54 says that Jesus withdrew from Bethany. He knew what was coming and He withdrew. So He no longer walked around publicly. Jesus' public ministry had come to a close. It was over. He was no longer visible in Bethany where Jesus raised Lazarus, but who was still there? Who was still visible? Lazarus. Lazarus was still there, walking around. And he was a walking miracle. Everywhere that Lazarus went, he was living evidence of the power of Jesus Christ. He was evidence. And as you recall from two weeks ago, Lazarus' death was a sign of our spiritual condition. We are dead in our sin, but His resurrection is a sign of our own resurrection, a spiritual resurrection and then a physical resurrection as well. So if you are a believer, then you are walking evidence of the power of Jesus. Do you realize that? What was spiritually dead is now spiritually alive. And the fruit of your life is as much evidence as apples on a tree. Maybe in our area, I should say, as, as much as evidence as cotton on a stalk. Can you ride through the country in, in the fall? Can you identify a cotton field in full bloom? Sure you can. You can't miss it because that ball of cotton is evidence of what kind of stalk that is. That's the way your life ought to be. Evidence of the life that is in us. Listen to how Paul reminded the believers in Ephesus of this truth. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. But... Because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. 
And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So our lives are evidence of God's grace through Jesus Christ. And if you are living contrary to the ways of God's word, then you are a bad witness for the gospel. See, that's why it's so important the way we live. Yes, it makes a difference in the decisions that I make in life. It might be the difference between belief and unbelief in somebody's influence that you have influence over. It's that important. Your soul was dead, but it has been made alive through faith in Christ Jesus. Therefore, now be the evidence that proves Jesus is who He claimed to be. That He claimed to give us life, then do you have life? Do other people see that you have life? Are you living any differently than the world around you? We should be. See, Jesus is not physically visible right now, but you and I are. And if we claim to be part of His body, then we should be showing something that is different so that people around us can see. And see, this isn't just about morality. Being a Christian will make you more of a moral person, but being a moral person will not make you a Christian. You are a Christian because of your faith in Jesus Christ. So when people look at you, do they see a changing life? And I put that changing instead of changed. You are changed, but you are also changing. I mean, there are things in me that, uh, that I think, and I think, how can you think that thing? So I know I'm changing. I'm not where I want to be or where he wants me to be, but we are all changing. Do they see in you, do people see pride becoming humility? Do they see meanness becoming kindness? Do they see sadness becoming joy? Or anxiety becoming peace? Maybe harshness becoming gentleness? Or hate becoming love? Or despair becoming hope? And on and on and on, the fruit of the Spirit. You know, when I think back about my education, some of my best teachers were the hardest teachers. And this was all the way through, from grade school, middle school, high school, college, graduate school. My best teachers were the hardest because I knew what they expected. But they didn't just leave me on my own. The best teachers helped me to achieve what they expected me to achieve. Isn't that the way it is with Jesus? That He has an expectation for us. We know what it is because it's in His Word. And His Spirit is speaking into our lives, but He doesn't just leave, it, leave us to get there. He helps us along the way, and that's why He gave us His Holy Spirit. So are you living that kind of life that you are evidence that Christ is at work in you? Because see, everybody around you, everybody in this world is looking for something. They're looking for something. They're looking for purpose. 
They're looking for security, for comfort, for relationship. They're looking for assurance. They're looking for compassion. They're looking for hope. They're looking for something. So when other people look at you, when they look at your life, they need to see that you have found everything that you have been searching for in Jesus Christ. They need to see that. That whatever it is that you have been searching for, you have found it in Christ Jesus. So, two believers here this morning. I would say desire to live in a way that will help lead others to belief in Jesus. Because you were dead, but now you are alive. You are a walking miracle. You are a spiritual miracle. So live in such a way that your desire... And I think it's important that we remember that it's our desire. I desire to desire to be like Jesus wants me to be. Because we all fall short. None of us can reach the top without Him working in us. But desire to live in a way that will help others come to believe. And then maybe you're here this morning and, and you're still, you don't know. And maybe you're standing in unbelief. And I would say to you that I have found in Jesus Christ everything. Everything that I ever wanted and more than I can imagine. I find such a consistency in His Word, even through the Old Testament that points forward to the New Testament, that Jesus is our hope. And so I would say to you, I have found that in Jesus Christ. And you can too. That's His hope for you. And therefore, it's my hope for you as well. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for Your Word. How it teaches us. But Lord, we're not just left to read words on a page. You have put flesh on those words. Because the Word became flesh. And now it dwells in us. You have given us Your Spirit that will help us to see you'll open our eyes and, and you'll help us to see the truth of your word. But then you'll help us to believe and to act on it. So Lord, I pray for all of us gathered here today. We, we gather so that you would influence us, that you would teach us, and that you would make us into the people that you want us to be. And Lord, would you do it for your name's sake for your glory, through Jesus I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. And if you would like to know more about following Jesus and what it looks like in the real world, we would love to talk with you about it. You can find our contact information on our website at fbcamericas.org. And tune in next week as we continue our journey through John's Gospel.